Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakar banu mikol amin, venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah. Amen. Yes, I do. The Akedat of Isaac. There's a reason why when we blow the shofar, we leave the Torah scroll on the bima. Because the bima represents the altar, the outer altar of the temple. And isn't it interesting that every single Shabbat, we put the scroll on the altar. So that we have a representation of the scroll, the, the Torah, the living Torah of God being offered up. And so the reason that we blow the shofar and leave the Torah scroll on the altar, as it were, is so that when we're asking God to remember the shofar blast and what it represents, which is the Akedah, we have the living Torah on the altar so that those two thoughts are combined. So I just want to spend a few minutes, literally, because we have a second shofar blast that we want to do. And the, second, the reason for the second shofar blast is because we want to confuse the Satan, curse be he, right? That's why we have the second shofar blast. That what we just did a moment ago is the main shofar blast of Rosh Hashanah, but we have the second shofar blast that confused the Satan because he says, all right, they did their mitzvah. When we hear the second shofar, maybe that's Mashiach. So Hasatan, contrary to what many people think, Hasatan does not, he's not see all, know all. Right? He only, he's a puppet of Hashem. I want to focus on just a few remarks because there are a couple of articles that have been out for years, many years, on, on Aish.com's website. And uh, in terms of Torah learning and, and what have you, <coughs> Aish has a phenomenal website. And these... Uh, articles um, are, are wonderful. Many people think that Judaism is somehow contrary to faith in Messiah Yeshua. Nothing can be further from the truth. I mean, after all, the people who believed in Yeshua were God-fearing, Pharisaical Jews, right? They were the Phari Pharisaical Judaism is the great-grandfather of Judaism today. It's all based on that. So everybody that believed in Yeshua were all Pharisees, and they were all devout. How do you know they're Pharisees, Rabbi? Because they believed in the Messiah. Period. Not, I, and I don't mean just Yeshua. I mean the idea of a Messiah. They believed in the idea of the resurrection of the dead. They believed in angels, and they believed in demons. And only Pharisees believed that stuff. Right now, you're thinking to yourself, I guess I'm a Pharisee, and I didn't want to say it, but you just said it. <laughs> Welcome to the club. So in this article, which, which is entitled Thoughts from Humash Themes, The Binding of Isaac, written by Rabbi Nason Weiss, he begins the article by saying, in the pantheon of Jewish values, there is no cry more horrendous than a human sacrifice. Rombell brings down that yet the first sacrifice of Judaism was in fact a human sacrifice. The author says that 
there's nothing more abhorrent in Jewish thought than the idea of there is a human offering. And yet, in another article, it makes explicit that the very first offering ever of a Jew, because Abraham is the first Jew, the very first offering ever of a Jew was a human offering. I want you to think about that for a second. Now, that's not my opinion. That's Jewish thought. The very first offering ever by a Jew, and Abraham was the first Jew ever. Jew, Hebrew, Israelite are absolutely synonymous terms. The very first offering ever of a Jew was a human offering. Now, before you say to yourself, yes, but he didn't actually offer Isaac. Hold on, because he did. Now, I want you to think about another thought. Because people have been told that human offerings are abhorrent to Hashem. And in most cases, that's true. There There would not have been anybody in human history that could have or would have known God more than Abraham. You could argue that Moses, because he talked to him face to face, that's true. But Abraham was the first. He's the forefather of everybody. If it wasn't for Abraham, nobody would know anything. Abraham had dinner with God. Anybody here, don't raise your hand. Anybody here had dinner with God? Don't raise your hand because you didn't. If you did, see Ezekiel immediately. And so, how is it that a, a person like Abraham, who could know how abhorrent this is, when God says, go sacrifice your son, he didn't say, no way. Now, I want you to think about something, because Kepha did. Kepha was told by the Holy Spirit, I want you to get up and eat unkosher food. And Kepha said three times to God, uh, no. Why? Why? Because he knew that eating something unkosher was an an abhorrent abomination to God. God had made that perfectly clear. So I want you to understand that Cephas, he was told by by the Ruach HaKodesh, I want you to go and eat unkosher food. And he said, "Uh uh-uh, no way. And yet Abraham was told, I want you to go sacrifice your son. He got up the next morning, saddled his own animal, and got underway. Why? Because he knew something, there was a secret behind it, that he knew that in most cases you don't offer human offerings in Judaism, but there is a time and place when that needs to happen, and it was for a specific reason. There had to be something in Abraham's mind for him to even say, okay, sure. Yeah, human offering happens. He, he's surrounded by paganism. He knows how much God hates all of that throwing the, uh, the, the blonde virgin into the volcano thing. It says in this article, the belief that God is hungry for human blood and can be bribed by murder of a loved one is an abomination. Yet, I would say the binding was not about appeasement, it was about restoration. There is a tekiyat chametim, that is the resurrection of the dead, according to Rabbi Dessler. So the article says, imagine that, it, that you have the ability to achieve this transformation, that is purifying and restoring our physical bodies to the condition of very good before the fall of Ganadin, and eliminate de- death once and for all by performing a single action. The author of the article says that Abraham and I, to, to Abraham and Isaac, 
This was the binding of Isaac. It's what it was all about. Uh, stick with me, because these are deep thoughts here. I want you to follow the timeline or follow the bouncing ball, so to speak. First of all, Isaac, this is going to be a shocker to some of you. Isaac was not a 10-year-old little boy. He was a grown man, a very grown man, into his uh, you know, 30s or so on, 27. Some might, might debate about that, but he was into his 30s. He was not a little child. He wasn't drug up the mountain, kicking and screaming, asking his father, no, don't do it. In fact, when Isaac found out that he was the sacrifice, because he says, God will provide the lamb, my son. In English, we have a comma. God will provide the lamb, my son. God will provide the lamb, comma, my son. But in Hebrew, there's no comma. It simply says, God will provide the lamb, my son. And the moment he heard that he was the offering, he went willingly to be that sacrifice. Now, there's a whole midrash that discusses the conversation. It's very moving and very touching uh, about the entire thing. There's a whole discussion about how Isaac asked his father to tie his hands very, very tight and his feet very, very tight because he didn't want to he did not want to nullify the offering by somehow flinching at the last moment and making it a non-kosher slaughter. Which is why he's called the Akedah. The word Akedah, and it's not going to be a few minutes, second. It is the word, <laughs> the word Akedah means the bound one, and the root of it means to mark. So that he walked around the rest of his life with markings on his hands and on his feet. Sound familiar? So that when everybody would see him in the marketplace, they would say, you're the one that your father offered, I can tell by the marks on your hands and the marks on your feet. Now, everything I'm telling you today, ladies and gentlemen, is Judaism, which is actually what you read in New Testament letters, too, that people over the years, they've gotten confused about all that. I'm talking here Jewish thought. So it says here, Basically, what's going on is Abraham knows that God does not like human sacrifice. But he understands there has to be a special human sacrifice at some point in time to bring us back. There has to be something cataclysmic to bring us back to the pre-fall time frame. That's why he gets up and says, okay, I'll do it. Because he knows there has to be something unique. Not just a sacrifice for sacrifice sake. But there is an opportunity here. So the, the author of the article says, Abraham and Isaac, therefore, conclude that the binding of Isaac was not about tribute and death. It was about life. He says the sacrifice of Isaac would bring on the resurrection. The time had come to repair the broken world to undo the sin of Adam, to restore man to immortal life. The conclusion, God wanted to make Isaac the immortal. That, that's not my writings. That's the writing of the article on Aish. That Abraham understood. That's not me. I didn't, that's not, those aren't my words. 
Abraham understood that Isaac was the key that was going to bring about the resurrection and the restoration and the redemption, the Geulah, bring about the messianic reign, that the Isaac was the son of promise that was going to do that. So Rombel brings down, these are my words, of course, But, she, but surely Abraham knew that Adonai abhors human sacrifice, so why was he so willing to obey a commandment that would have been an abomination? And the answer is, is that in Jewish thought, achieving resurrection and morality was to be accomplished by the Son of Promise. The only, the only begotten, the only beloved Son. Hillel pointed out in a discussion we had at Havdalah a few weeks ago, when it says only begotten son, people say, what do you mean? He's got Ishmael. And not only that, but Abraham had many sons. Because every time you bring somebody into covenant, they become like your child. As it says in the Torah, the souls that he made, he and Sarah made. Because Sarah and Abraham were evangelists. They went around encouraging people to embrace the covenant. That is a Torah. You know, I want you to think about that. Those of you who have a really heart for evangelism, the very first evangelist who ever walked the planet was Abraham and Sarah. They did not walk around saying, believe in God. They walked around encouraging people to embrace the Torah of God. So if your message is different than that, then it's the wrong message. Because the message is always the same, because God never changes. The same God was the same God existed thousands years ago and had the same message. You enter the covenant the same way. People ask me all the time, how did Jews get in the covenant? Like, like there's different ways for different people. I always say, well, the way that Americans get in the covenant is different than the way that the French get in. He was hoping, Abraham and Isaac both understood the mission. They were hoping that they would bring about the Geulah. This is why in some commentaries it says that, when, that, that Sarah died because she heard that her son was not sacrificed. And that some commentaries say that she died of a broken heart because she thought maybe my son wasn't worthy enough to bring about the Geulah. So it says, when the sword touched Isaac's neck, this is going back to the article. When the sword touched Isaac's neck, his soul flew out of his body and went to Shemayim, and basically an angel told him, God says, go back. That's the short version of what I just was reading. Abraham and Isaac began the process of amending the broken world and returning it to the state of very good. It was, it was in before Adam fell, thereby eliminating the need to die. That was what they were trying to accomplish. According to Judaism, my friends, you need to listen to me. According to Judaism, Isaac died. You say, well, he didn't actually kill him, though. What's death? Hillel and I had this conversation last night at the, at the table. Hillel said, 
Death is merely the soul leaving the body. We think about death in a number of different ways, my friends, but the soul just leaves the, the body because without the soul, the body can't live. Your soul and my soul never dies. It can't die because it's chipped, as it were, out of the throne room of God, out of the throne of God. It's not about if you'll live forever. The question is where you will live forever. The soul doesn't die. Somebody asked me, some messianic person who was getting in trouble with their theology, was having a, was was come to the belief that, that Yeshua is not divine. And they asked me the question. They said, "Well, how can God die?" And the question, the, the answer to that, is that the God didn't die. The, the spirit of God ascended, and the soul lives forever. The, this body, my friends, is just a tool. This is why nobody, none of the disciples, identified what Yeshua looked like. Nobody said if he was tall or short or had a long beard or short beard or blue eyes or brown eyes. Nobody said if he was black or white or brown or whatever. You know why? Because it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Abraham and Isaac were seeking to bring about the state of the, of the Alam Haba, what it was like before Adam fell. So he writes, when the sacrifice was aborted, Abraham realized that the process would not be completed right then and there, and he was positively disappointed. Well, what does that mean? It says, he says, he writes further, Abraham realized what we do not. The opportunity to eliminate death was being canceled along with the sacrifice. Abraham was being tested to see if he would actually sacrifice his son, but he, it was, writing here, the author is admitting that what was supposed to bring about the Geula the sacrifice of the only begotten son, they knew that, you have to understand, you have to follow the dots here. Very deep. You have to understand that from a Jewish mind, they, Abraham understood this is what's required. In order to get us back to the pre-Adam state, it requires the death of the only begotten son. I said Abraham out of the sons. And another thought from Hillel. Hillel's just all over this, right? He's all over the drosh today. At this, that Havdalah discussion we had, he pointed out that that word is the word for Yikud. It wasn't that it was his only begotten son, literally, because the argument has been made. Yeshua is the firstborn son, but yet the Torah refers to Israel as the firstborn son. So many people have said, oh, he can't be the firstborn son because Israel is the firstborn son. But that's not what that means. What it means in the Torah is that this was the son that was as cl closest to him. That Abraham took his very image, and quite frankly, my friends, his literal image. Because people said that this wasn't really his son. And in order to nullify that, God made it so that Isaac was literally a spitting image of Abraham. 
so that they have said, this is found in the Midrash, if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. He took his literal image, not just physically, but spiritually. Isaac was closest to him. Of all of his sons, he was closest to him. He took that one that he loved the most because of that and sacrificed him because he knew it required that to happen. So I submit that it was, in fact, undone, but it was to be left to a later, a later time. Now, just to kind of wrap things up here, because we want to get to our second set of shofar blowing. The author here writes that the readers of the text may be far more intrigued by the thoughts than by the actions which the Torah describes. He says, on a logical level, Abraham faced a quandary. God had previously assured him that his son and no other would carry on his name and his mission. The covenant forged with Abraham was to, be con- was to be continued through Isaac and his children. If Isaac, as yet unmarried and childless, child- childless is to be slaughtered and sacrificed, can Abraham comprehend or contend with the thought that God's word may be proven false? This is just like the Messiah. The people say about the Messiah, how could he die and not fulfill his mission? Not realizing that the Messiah had to die in order to fulfill his mission. He had to be that offering that would bring about the resurrection of the dead. So, it says the Akedah took place on a mountain, chosen by God and shown to to Abraham. But it was a very specific mountain, a mountain called Mount Moriah, where later the temple would be built. Now, I said that the very first offering ever offered by a Jew was a human offering. That's powerful in and of itself, but many people don't, they get confused. They say, well, Yeshua is the final offering, and they think that means that no more offerings will be had. And yet, we know through Ezekiel that there is going to be a third and final temple, and that there is going to be offerings in that third and final temple. So how is that possible? because we've misunderstood the whole dynamic of offerings. The sages teach that Isaac's offering sanctified Mount Moriah, and it sanctified the temple mount, and it sanctified the altar. I want you to know those are three things that are part of creation, the mountain, the temple, and the altar. The temple and the altar were only copies of the original that exist in heaven. Only copies. And so, uh, the offering of a human being, Isaac, a human being is a copy of the creator, is it not? So the copy could sanctify the copy, but the copy couldn't sanctify the original. I should point out that there is a rabbi who brings down, I just want to source this to you, a rabbi, Mordecai Cohen, who reports a tradition that Abraham literally sliced the throat of Isaac, his trachea and windpipe, which would have rendered him a kosher offering. Now, I I tell that to you not with the intention of being graphic, but I need you to understand 
that the death of Isaac in the eyes of Judaism is real. It's not metaphoric. It's real. It's very important. So here we have the sacrifice of Abraham called upon to offer was the first sacrifice in Jewish history, and it was performed on the precise spot that would later be the focal point of all sacrifices. So Yitzhak, Yitzhak as Isaac, is the first offering, the offering which court that consecrates the altar that would stand on that spot. The Midrashic insistence that Isaac died at the Akedah, is, as the author point, points out, is not a mere quirk. Mount Moriah is the place of sacrifice, and Isaac was that sacrifice. So why do we need Yeshua? Among many, many reasons. One of the reasons is, is because it was necessary that Yeshua, the divine Messiah, who is not a mere copy, but is the image of the living God, would come to sanctify not this earthly temple, but the heavenly temple. Not the earthly altar, but the original altar. Not the earthly mountain, but the real mountain. This is why it says in the letter to the Hebrews, we've come not to a, mount, to a physical mountain, but we've come to the mountain of God. That's why we need Yeshua. That's why he had to be the Akedah. 